Um, welcome, great to see Antioch family if you're visiting, um, especially during this Advent season, looking for a church. We sure hope that this ends up being your home, but if it's not, we sure encourage you to continue that search until you find a church home because you weren't meant to do this alone. And so we're praying that you will find the church home that fits you exactly. Last week, Andrew, uh, no, there's actually two other things I wanted to say. First, I have to say this. There is something going on about prayer before the services, and it's becoming a movement. Uh, I'm not kidding. What's going on in the lobby over in the office, uh, it's powerful. And if you need to be lifted up, if you want to feel the presence and all that is submitted before this service, I just encourage you to try and make that. It starts at 9.15. It's over in the lobby over there. And I just want to say what's going on there is really, really powerful. Second thing I wanted to say is, I don't know if you know, but last week I was supposed to kick off the series. Instead, Andrew preached. That's not the first time that has happened. What I want to say to you is that I cannot tell you how encouraged that we ought to be that we are at a church, that this space is fully submitted to him. Yeah. I walked out of here going, God, you are free to move here. And preaching isn't elevated beyond anything else. And a part of what came, and the part of the reason that Andrew preached, is a part of what was being heard over in the prayer. And so we yield to what God is doing. And in this house, we have the flexibility to yield what God is doing. And I just wanted to say, I think that is so cool and I'm so encouraged. Last week, Andrew did open up our three-week series on Advent, leading us into the Advent meant to John, or in what Advent meant to John and how Advent informed John's gospel. And he started with a huge, big idea. He led us into the belief that, that John was saying to us, God is so big. He is so unique. He is so indescribable. He is so wholly other than we can ever be or anything else that we can compare him to or use to describe him that it is actually not possible to know God. Unless, unless God himself makes himself known to us. And that's exactly what he did when he sent Jesus to us. And he sent Jesus for us. And in John 1, John says that it is Jesus who explains God. It is Jesus who makes God knowable, who makes God visible to us. This is, in fact, the foundational truth of the Advent season, that Advent originates from a Latin word which simply means the coming or the arrival. So for the Christian, Advent simply, very simply means the coming or the arrival of Jesus. And I'm going to back up into the introduction for just a few minutes. You see, this season, it's not just a warm, fuzzy celebration about the coming of a baby or the manger scene, although that is part of it. That's not the extent of it. When Christians celebrate Advent, it is the acknowledgement, the celebration, and the poignant pause to acknowledge that one of the most critical claims in all of history, the claim that God comes to us. That is one of the most historic claims in all of history. Even if you're not a Christian, it is still a claim that impacts the world, that God comes. 
There are arguably three uniquely bold and critical claims in Christianity. The first is when God established how unique he was in essence and in reality and that it was beyond description. And so God makes, and Andrew did a great message. Was that based on Psalm 23? The I am? Yes. <coughs> I'm going to struggle with that today. So into history, God makes this beautiful claim. He simply says, I am. That is one of, again, another historical claim, claimed by Christianity and God. A second bold claim is an Advent proclamation that deity in flesh came to dwell among us, among his people, to Christians that he, God, still comes. He still comes. And the third is made the Lenten celebration after the clash of darkness and light on the cross when we make the claim and Jesus makes the claim and God makes the claim, he rose. Those are three arguably unique, most unique claims in all of history. And one of them is the Advent season, he comes. When we celebrate Advent, we celebrate a foundational part of our faith. Yes, we celebrate Advent as a season, but it is much more than a season because as Christians, we celebrate the coming of Jesus constantly, consistently. The light and the light of Jesus is a part of every second of our walk here on earth and for all of eternity. So Advent is a big deal. And Advent's coming has three manifestations that we, one, we talked about, he came. That the Logos was made flesh and came and dwelt among his people. The second is that he comes. That he continually comes to all who are his through the power of his Holy Spirit. So we have the visitation of God, of Jesus, on an ongoing basis by his Spirit. And the third is that he's coming again. And this is the belief and the knowledge that there is a final act to come that will fully establish the reign of God on the earth. Over these three weeks of series, we're going to look at many aspects of Advent and what they mean to us as followers of Jesus. The way we're going to look at these, this um, series of Advent is through testimonies. Why testimonies? There's a beautiful truth, thank you very much, there's a beautiful truth spoken in the Revelation about testimonies. And it says in Revelation 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, the one, that one statement, it makes a mouthful. It says a mouthful because prophecy is an intelligible message spoken by the church or a selected prophet of the church. And the spirit of, process, of prophecy is the Holy Spirit of God making that prophetic word possible. The testimony of Jesus is a specific prophecy about spoken by God on who Jesus is and what God is doing in and through Jesus. And we are going to look at Advent through the testimonies of Jesus. I was in Ukraine two weeks ago, and it was a tough, tough time. I visited the friends of Mission to Ukraine, and their situation is horrible. There's no heat. There's intermittent electricity and water. And the day I had to leave that I was forced to leave, it was the day that Russia launched 85-plus missiles and hit the country all over again. Two of them hit the city that I was in. And so I evacuated. 
While we were there, we can't meet in the offices any longer because of the ongoing bomb sirens and the fear of those bombs, so we met in a bomb shelter. I heard story after story, and I saw lives after lives and experienced tears after tears of stories of families having to um, go to the borders, which is a two-day journey in time times, only to find out there's a two-day wait out in the cold with no heat, no food, no bathrooms. And then imagine this, getting to the border and having to send your family across while the husbands had to stay, never knowing whether or not or if or when they would ever see their children again. Their situation is horrible, and now the infrastructure's been bombed so often that it's really questionable as to whether or not it can be brought up and maintained through the winter of Ukraine. I've been in the winters of Ukraine. They're harsh in a good year. People die in the years when there isn't a war. I can't even imagine what will happen with the war and the power stations down. We couldn't meet in the offices, so we met in a bomb shelter. I listened to their stories, I saw their fears, and I saw their tears, and I thought, what can I say to them? The whole time I was traveling over there, I was praying, what could I say to them? What can I possibly give them? I've never been in a war. I've never had to live long periods of time without heat or water or electricity. I've never had to say goodbye to my family under such horrible conditions. So what did we do in that bomb shelter? We shared the testimonies of Jesus. For hour after hour after day after day, we shared the testimonies of Jesus. Now we can think, well, of course. But I hate to tell you, I need to confess, that is not often where I first go to. When people ask me for help, I tend to go into Wisdom that I have from the past, experiences that I want to share with them, empathy that I want to be able to do it, but I had none of that here. None of that here. But that's usually my first go-to. But in this case, we went to the testimonies of Jesus. Can I tell you where I got that from? I got it from our pastor. When Andrew and Heather were called to Carlos Church, I was raking leaves with him one day. And Linda and I were in between churches. We had left our old church and we were waiting to find a new home. Didn't even know Antioch was coming. And in that season, we would find young couples coming to us for marriage help, for counseling on their lives from other churches. And their comments were often, you know, we love our pastors, but they're young. They don't really have an understanding. We need some couple that can establish and bring us something to this. And so that was my experience. So I'm raking leaves with Andrew right before he comes up. And I said to him, hey, Andrew, here's what I'm doing. And you're 25, I think, was when you were coming up. I said, you're 25 years old. What are you going to say when somebody comes who's 35 or 40 years old and asks you about their marriage? And he paused. And he looked at me. And he said, Dad, if I was at the feet of Jesus that morning, I know I will have something to say to them. I knew I want to follow that man. I have a lot to learn from that man. We are pushing to go to Jesus first in this church. And that comes from our leadership. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So I didn't have empathy. I didn't have wisdom. And I had no experience to share. So we went right to Jesus. And I was convinced I needed to do that more often. I need to start with Jesus. 
We shared testimonies of Jesus from the word of God and from our own lives. We shared testimonies of Jesus that we're encouraged and strengthened. And somehow, somehow in a bomb shelter in the middle of Ukraine with sirens going off, peace came. Joy came. We started worshiping. Somehow in a bomb shelter in the middle of a war zone, God came near. And it was incredible. Why are we starting with testimonies? Because our testimonies can never be taken from us. No one can ever take our testimonies from us. Not a war, not bombs, not a skeptic, not a scoffer. No one can take our testimonies from us. A testimony is very simply a firsthand authentication of a fact. And a testimony of Jesus is a firsthand authentication of what I experienced with Jesus, what you experienced with Jesus, what they experienced with Jesus, and no one can take that from us. And there's nothing more powerful than our own testimonies of what we have seen Jesus do and what we've experienced. That's why we're looking at testimonies. And we are looking at testimonies through three uniquely and powerful close people to Jesus. Three who were uniquely close and, uni and saw things that the rest of the world had never seen. We'll be looking at the testimonies. First week was John. This week we'll be looking at the testimony of Peter. And then we're going to end next week with Paul. The letters and the writings of John, Peter, and Paul. John's is called the gospel. The letters of Peter and Paul are called epistles or letters. But their writings are ultimately their testimonies of the impact that Jesus had on their lives and on the world around them. This week, we will look at the impact of the advent through the life and words, through the testimony of Peter. So can you stand with me now? And we'll read the word. I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Peter writes this. Inspired by God, blessed by God, he says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. For you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, I just want a simple prayer, a hymn that I was worshiping to. Right before we came up here this morning is that we just want another glimpse of your glory. Your glory is unique to you, and you share it with us. Could we, this morning, have another glimpse of your glory? Because in your glory, everything else fades away. Amen. could get obnoxious, sorry.
before we go to the Peter's testimony, we need to know Peter the man. Peter's an interesting character. He's an interesting character. And the first thing we might need to notice is that one of the reasons we know Peter's such an interesting character is that we know more about the details and the experiences of Peter's life than almost, almost all other Bible characters. Think about it. We have more individual understanding of what Peter did well and didn't do well than almost any other Bible characters. Think about it. What do we know about Andrew, Matthew, or Philip? Hardly anything. We know a lot about Peter. Even when we come to Isaiah or Elijah or Jeremiah, we still know more individual interactions than we do about Peter. And I don't pretend to know why God thinks it's so important. I just know that God did think it's important. And so we are going to look at the individual events of some of Peter's life before we go into his testimony. Peter had his share of disappointing moments, even failures. He had his doubt when he was walking on the water. He is wanting to build the tabernacles for Elijah and Moses in the transfiguration. His refusing to have Jesus watch, wash his feet. His falling asleep while waiting for Jesus in the garden. And Peter will forever be remembered, forever the most famous denial of Jesus in all of history. He'll never live that down. All well documented. All used throughout history to teach us what not to do. Those of you who know me know I strongly resonate with Peter. <laughs> and that's because I, like Peter, would way more rather be associated with my intent than my outcomes. Because my outcomes often don't match my intent. My intent is often really good. Outcomes, not so much. I, like Peter, I have overestimated my repair capabilities and had to call 911 to have my finger removed from a treadmill gear. Oh, it gets way worse than that. <laughs> I've over-designed just about every one of my projects. I actually designed a deck, took it into the Lowe's Pro Center, presented my plans, and the guy called everyone over and said, you got to come see this. And then he looked at me and he said, are you designing a deck or a landing strip for a 747? I was hurt. Overriding reason, I paid $17 to drive two and a half hours to get baby ducks that could live in my creek for my children. I paid $500 to have to have them remove them from my yard and my pool. <laughs> I overrun the caution of electricity, thinking I'm faster than electricity and able to plug a electric fan in France to a 220 outlet when the fan's only built for 110 and started a fire in a five-star hotel that everyone needed to be evacuated to the parking lot. <laughs> Peter most certainly had weaknesses, <laughs> things he had to grow in. But I would submit, I would submit to you that perhaps we get so much detail that we know why God gave us so much detail about Peter's life when we look at the entirety of Peter's life. Because the entirety of Peter's life is pretty beautiful. Peter was an amazing man who paid a great price in order to give a testimony for Jesus. Peter was not looking for the Messiah. He was introduced to Jesus by his brother. But then he quickly became a leader of the disciples. 
He actually moved into one of the three closest to Jesus and saw things with Jesus that no other men got to see. Only two other men got to see. The uniqueness of Peter is apparent even in the way he was called by Jesus. Peter comes to follow Jesus through, and I'm referencing the account that we're given in Luke chapter 5, that Peter's been out and his boat is coming in from fishing all night and is coming in with a bunch of other boats. And they are unloading the equipment off the boat. They are unloading equipment, not fish. Because they didn't catch a fish, not a single fish all night. Jesus has been teaching on the shore. And teacher, uh, Jesus comes over to Peter and gets in Peter's boat and has him row out to, from shore a little bit. And Jesus starts teaching again. And then he looks at Peter and he says, get ready to cast down your net. And by the way, be ready for a big catch. And Peter responds, master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. I think there's much in the statement from Peter. See, the night before was not just a disappointing night at work for Peter. Fishing was Peter's life. Fishing was Peter's identity. If Peter caught fish, he could feed his family. If Peter caught fish, he could keep his home. If Peter caught fish, he could pay Roman taxes so that he could continue to live outside of prison. If Peter caught fish, it gave him an identity as a provider for his family and a father. Peter loved fishing, and Peter knew fishing. And I think he was kindly rebuking Jesus. Jesus if you want to talk about making a fire, I'm listening. You want to talk about being a blacksmith? I'll go with you on that. But fishing? Jesus, I know fishing, and there's no fish out there. But this is really important because going back out pushed against everything Peter knew and that he was an expert in. Peter went back out, and in doing so, he yielded to Jesus in his greatest core competency, in his greatest area of knowledge and strength and expertise. He yielded his identity to Jesus, and that changed everything. And here's why it changed. Because when those nets got filled, Peter, as an expert fisherman, knew only God could do that. And that changed everything for Peter. And he walked away from his life. And he followed. In verse 8, Peter, Simon Peter says, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And then immediately after Peter's confession, Peter's full surrender. When they brought in their boats, verse 11, when they brought in their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter left every competency, every legacy, every cultural standard he had, every lean on pride that he had, everything for his identity. He left everything to follow Jesus. Peter left it all. And did you notice something? Not a single promise from Jesus. This should stand out to us. Not a single promise. Hey, Peter, I promise I'll take care of your family. Hey, Peter, here's the role you're going to have. 
Peter, here's how long this will happen, and this is what it's going to look like, and this is where we're going to stay. Not a single promise. I don't know about you, but the second Peter gives up his life and follows Jesus, I lose all right to question anything that he did for the rest of his life. I want to know, what did this man see? What did he know? Because I want to know Peter's testimony because he made a huge sacrifice for Jesus. Secondly, Acts 4.13, it says, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Another thing about Peter is Peter became best known, best known for being in the presence of Jesus. That's what he was known for. All I know is uneducated, untrained, but they're with Jesus. So I want to know what Peter has to say. I want to know what Peter has to say because he had close proximity to Jesus. But still, there's more. It was Peter who first identified Jesus as a savior of the world. Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 17. Peter calls out confidently who Jesus is when all the others are silent. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter's proclamation did not come out of Peter's boldness. It came from heaven. I want to know what Peter has to say about Jesus because God talked to Peter. And that gives him credence, credence with me. Finally, we are looking at Peter's testimony of the impact of the advent of Jesus because of the unique role Jesus gave to Peter. Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16, 18 through 19, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades won't overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven, kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Out of all his disciples, Jesus chose Peter to lay the foundation on which to build Jesus' bride. I think it's clear to say that if we want to ask anyone in the world at any time in history, can you tell me about the coming of Jesus? Peter should be a guy that we want to hear from. And I think we do. In the first chapter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter is writing a letter circulated to the churches around the region. They are struggling. They are struggling, but it, this is not the time of the great persecution yet. The great persecution of Nero, of the Christians, had not started yet. But they are struggling, and they are struggling like we are. They are struggling living in a culture that is very different morally than they are, has very different values than they have, and in fact is a little bit prejudiced against their faith because their faith kind of scares them. And that's the world they're navigating, and they're struggling with that a little bit. And Peter hits on all of those trials a little bit in the middle of what he writes. But he does not give guidance on any one particular issue. And this is where we see a trend of all the New Testament writers. Peter doesn't spend hardly any time on the what or the how. He goes right 
to the who of Jesus. He's writing to these struggling people, and the thing he leads with is Jesus and the who. This is extremely, this is exactly what Peter does. He leads exactly to Jesus. Peter does not give them issue by issue instructions or advice. Instead, he points to all and all they have in and through Jesus. Peter points them to look at all they have because of the fact that Jesus came. Now, we have to understand, Peter is old by this time. He will be martyred in the next few years. All of the other disciples at this time, they're gone. And he's writing to these churches, knowing that this is some of his last communication about his life, what he saw, and what he wants to testify to. And it's in this that we saw Peter turned from originally being a doer. I have to act for you, Jesus. I I, I have to help you, Jesus. I have to fix this, Jesus. I have to add to this, Jesus. But that's not Peter anymore. Now, he rests. And he beholds. And that's where he starts. Before you do anything, behold. Behold the one who came. And this is what Andrew pointed us to through John. Look at Peter's writings. Let me read it again. To all these struggling people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him still now, you believe in him and you greatly rejoice. Enjoy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. That's some pretty deep stuff for a fisherman. But these are not the words of a fisherman. Peter left fishing over 30 years before he wrote this. It's been 30 years since Peter left fishing. In those 30 years, He saw Jesus raise his mother-in-law. In In those 30 years, he saw Jesus raise a girl from the dead. In those 30 years, Peter had watched Jesus confound religious teachers and then watched them end up falling at his feet to learn. In those 30 years, Peter had seen Jesus confirmed by Elijah, 
Moses and God. In those 30 years, Peter had personally heard God tell him that Jesus was his son. In those 30 years, Peter had rebuked Jesus for washing his feet only to realize that Jesus had watched his entire body, his entire life, his entire souls, and the, the souls of the rest of us. In those 30 years, Peter had drawn a sword to defend Jesus only to see that Jesus needed no defense. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate defender. In those 30 years, Peter even tried to prevent the cross from happening only to realize that it was the clash on the cross that saved him and saved the rest of us. In those 30 years, he had denied his Savior and then been forgiven and been made the foundation of his Savior's church. A testimony from Peter that we have in these verses is from a man who met and walked with Jesus. A man who began inspired by the coming of Jesus, then changed by the coming of Jesus, and now, and now he's empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. Everything is informed by who he saw that Jesus was. That's where everything comes from, Peter, now. And now, through the advent of Jesus, a far-off, unknowable God had become a merciful father to Peter. In the advent, in the coming of Jesus, a struggling life had been transformed into living hope. In the advent of Jesus, through the fear of death, had been swallowed up by a resurrected king. Through the advent of Jesus, the orphan spirit or the condemnation of being different simply means you have a different inheritance, a better inheritance. And it is undefilable, it is pure, and it cannot ever be taken away from you. Through the advent of Jesus, Peter had learned that those unprotected by any government have a better protection because they are protected by the power of God. Through the advent, the coming of Jesus, Peter had seen very real hard trials become purposeful and temporal. Though they may last a lifetime, they are brief in comparing to history. And he points us to eternity. No, look at your struggles through light of eternity, and it is a brief suffering, and then glory. Through the advent of Jesus, faith looms powerfully over riches and fame and strength because riches fade and die. Fame dwindles, and, and every struggle fades eventually. But faith... Faith builds for a lifetime and for all eternity. Step by step by step, every step that is taken is one that you do not go back from. And you build and build and build until you are at his feet. And there, all is complete. This is what Peter did with his life. There by his side, your reward will be given. There your reward will be complete. There your reward will be laid back at his feet. There your reward will be him. Through the advent of Jesus, it's no longer necessary that we see him because we already love him. And even though we don't see him still, we believe in him. And belief 
is stronger than sight. Belief is stronger than sight. And believing brings hope, perseverance, and joy, all for the journey upward to glory. The outcome of the advent of Jesus, Peter knows it and he nails it. The salvation of our souls. Spoken, important, spoken in the present tense. Because our salvation has started. It is today. And it can never be taken from us. And it too will build for all eternity. The outcome of the advent of Jesus, the salvation of our souls. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as I close this out. I don't like to admit this, but sometimes when Peter... When people start to press me into God and into Jesus and in biblical truth when I'm going through some very real, real struggles, I resent it. I don't ever say it, but sometimes in my heart, in my mind, I think, hey, get real. I got some real struggles that I'm facing. And I need something practical to hang on to. The truth is, if I can follow Peter's lead, if I can be transformed like Peter was transformed by the presence of Jesus, if I can follow Peter's truth, and it was the truth, then if indeed God is my father and he acts in behalf of me, on his mercy, if indeed I am born again to a living hope, if indeed I know Jesus really rose from the dead, if indeed that I have an inheritance waiting for me that cannot be taken, will not be defiled, and never fades away, if I am protected by the power of God by my faith, if indeed my salvation has begun and will never end, if in Jesus will, indeed Jesus will come again and I will stand before him in glory, then the question is, what do I need to be afraid of? What do I need to be afraid of? The advent of Jesus means that we are no longer stuck living according to what we see. We are invited to live in what is real. And what is real is bigger than what we see. If like Peter through the advent of Jesus, I can see all that Peter saw, then I too, no matter what my trials, can rejoice in a joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as my reward the salvation of our souls today tomorrow, forever. Let's pray. Let's stand together. What I want to pray us into is just that I think this morning, I just want to invite that if you want to be in help, be lifted higher today, above circumstances, if you want a new glimpse of the glory of Jesus, what I want today. I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Our prayer team is going to be forward and just come. 
and let pray, pray, let them pray over us that we will see with real eyes, not pretend eyes, real eyes, so that we can rejoice in what is real more than what we see. So let me pray for us and then come forward for prayer if that's something that you would like to get this morning. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you purposely for the life of Peter. His testimony, it changes us. It's undeniable because he gave his life for it. He gave his life here for his testimony and he gave his life eternally for his testimony. So we thank you for the life of Peter and ask you, Help us behold you like he beholds you. In Jesus' name.